Good evening, everyone. My name is Scott, and I'll be reading from Luke's Gospel tonight. As Fox said, we're taking a, a one-week break from our Job series. Uh, but before we read together, uh, I'll pray that we might understand God's Word. Dear Lord, thank you for your Word in the Bible. Please help us to focus as we read it together. And we ask that you would help Wild to speak clearly from your Word, that we might understand it properly and in doing so that we would grow to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Luke chapter 13 from the 22nd verse. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hello everyone and uh, welcome, let me add uh, my welcome to Foxy's, really great to have you tonight and especially if you've uh, joined us tonight for Mother's Day, uh, we hope this might be the first of many times that you're with us and uh, let me echo uh, that wish of Happy Mother's Day to everyone here who is a mother and uh, of course as Fox has helped us already to think about and others have helped us to think about uh, a day with some mixed emotions perhaps for some of us and uh, there may be some of us who no longer have our mothers with us and we certainly want to remember you in the context of today and there might be some of us who don't have good memories of their mothers and if that's been your experience I'm so sorry that it has been your experience I hope you will find some comfort tonight I hope all of us will find some comfort tonight as we look really at the motherly love of Jesus um, I wanted to ask my own mum and dad uh, to church this morning. Um, this is a family photo we had uh, from yeah, maybe a couple of months ago. I, it was the first time I'd seen my mum in a while and she's completely stopped dyeing her hair, so she's gone completely white 
and I really like that. I think she looks really dignified with that. Um, but it's just a bit hard for my dad to get out now, and so um, I didn't end up getting them to church this morning. I, certainly my mum has been a great blessing in my life. Um, not perfect, of course, by any means, but still wonderful in many ways. And um, my sister and I often talk about the fact that as we were growing up, um, our mum was uh, always around at home in the kind of afternoons to help keep us on track with, with homework or to, to play a game with us if that was kind of what was going on or uh, to drive us wherever we had to get to for sport or music or to, to make sure that we're all constantly well fed. Um, our mum was a, a great model and I think for me as well a great model of how to selflessly care for others, especially as I saw her care for her mother, my grandmother. Uh, she lived not far from us as I was growing up, and, um, and now I still see that as she keeps caring for Dad. Uh, but even for me, one of the things I can say very quickly about uh, my mum is that she was nearly always there to help clean up whatever messes I got myself into. Uh, I don't know if you had this experience. Uh, you know at school, that experience when you kind of forgot your lunch, you left your lunch at home? Hands up if you've ever had, you know, a mum or a dad bring your lunch to school for you. I think this is the congregation that has the best representation on this question. Um, my mum was awesome when that kind of thing happened because she would always jump in to save us and she would always bring some food up to school so we wouldn't go hungry. It's always a little bit embarrassing if you've had that happen. You probably recognise some people nodding. It's always a little bit embarrassing when you're in the classroom and you find out, you know, is Nathan Walter here? Um, your mum's brought your lunch to school. Yay. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, mum. Um, Mum would always have my back and kind of save my bacon on that one. I, I do remember one time that was particularly embarrassing, though, when um, Mum brought my lunch to school, because this was when I was a teacher. <laughs> I, I wasn't yet married. I was still living at home. And uh, I, left my, <laughs> I left my lunch on the kitchen bench, and Mum brought it to school for me. You've never seen a set of office ladies laugh so hard <laughs> as they did that day. <laughs> And um, it would have been fine because the school where I taught was right next to Chatswood Chase, so there's a whole food court that I could have gone to to get some lunch, but mum didn't want me to go hungry. What an absolute legend. And so um, that's my mum. So it's great that we have a day like today, uh, Mother's Day, to celebrate a person that we can't do without, uh, whose pain gives us birth, who selflessly feeds and cuddles and clothes us, through all those months and years when we are really completely and utterly helpless, fully dependent, who cries for us when we're hurt, who binds us up when we're injured, who tenderly cares for us and loves us in ways that are just uniquely motherly. And I suspect that is exactly why Jesus, in the passage we've just read together, as he was trying to convey the extraordinary depths of his loving care and his commitment to the good of his people, I suspect that's why Jesus, when he wanted to communicate all of that, he reached for an example that came from the world of mothering. Did you notice that? He likened himself to a mother hen who gathers her chicks under her wings. It's the most extraordinary, tender image that Jesus uses. Uh, just to set the scene in Luke's gospel, since uh, the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus has been on a journey. 
um, from Galilee up in the north of the country down to Jerusalem, which is the capital in the south of the country. And uh, in our passage in chapter 13, he's kind of in some of the towns and villages along the way and he's teaching the crowds and someone comes to him and asks him the question about how many people are going to be saved. Is it going to be many or is it just going to be a few? And Jesus replies by saying that the door to salvation is narrow and that although many will seek to enter it, they won't be able to, even to the point that eventually a day will come when they will stand and knock, as it were, on the door of heaven, hoping to gain entry to the banquet that's going on inside, but the owner of the house will come out and he will tell them, I don't know you. Go away. And this is a really challenging teaching to accept, isn't it? I think... For most of us, we love to say to ourselves that if God is real and if heaven is really a genuine possibility for the future, then surely the door is wide open and many will go through it. And it won't really matter if we put off until later the decisions that we need to make about Jesus. In fact, once our days on earth are done, perhaps even then we will still be able to to kind of argue our way, to try and argue our way into heaven. But Jesus insists that the door is narrow, not wide. That there are just a few who enter it, not many. And that our decisions about Jesus are urgent. Because once our days on earth are done, there will be no more opportunity to go in and enjoy the banquet. And if we find that message a little bit confronting which we do, it's just so important that we hold it together with what happens in the second half of the passage because Luke tells us in verse uh, verse 31 that it was at that time, literally at that very hour, as Jesus was teaching people about our entry into heaven and how many people will be saved, it was at that time that some Pharisees came telling him to leave this place and to go somewhere else because Herod wants to kill him. Now, it's a little bit unusual perhaps to find some Pharisees uh, seeming to try and help Jesus. Uh, That's not something we often find. Uh, Normally, uh, Jesus and they seem to be heading in completely opposite direction on things. But it shouldn't surprise us at all to hear these words about Herod. He was the, the kind of Roman puppet ruler, if you like, up in Galilee, the north of the country. Um, After all, just a few months earlier, he had ordered the execution of Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, simply to satisfy the conditions of a promise that he made foolishly in public at a dinner party that he was hosting. And so Herod certainly has the kind of power to pull off this kind of desire to have Jesus killed. And, And we know that he is sufficiently unconstrained by any kind of moral boundaries that would lead him to seek to do what was right and just. So it seems like Jesus really is in clear and present danger at this point. What will he do? How will he respond? Will he leave this place and go to ground? I'm sure it's the kind of thing I would have done. Listen again to his answer. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal 
that in any case I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Uh, In the whole record of Jesus' public life and ministry, this, I think, is probably the only situation we really see Jesus treat someone with contempt. I think that's probably true. To call Herod that fox is kind of the ultimate expression of calling a spade a spade. Um, One person has put it, what this means is that Herod is neither a great man nor a straight man. He has neither majesty nor honour. But notice that there are two intentions at work here. So Herod intends to kill Jesus. Jesus intends to continue his ministry. To keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and the third day to reach his goal. It's not that these are the only two activities that Jesus has been doing. This is just kind of a a useful summary of all his ministry. It's not just that he's thinking about three specific 24-hour day periods. This is just a kind of figure of speech to talk about kind of the short term, not the long term. But here the kind of steely resolve of Jesus' words... Hear the determination of his words. He's not going to be put off by Herod's desire to kill him. He's not going to leave this place and head somewhere else. He's going to keep doing all the things he has been doing as long as the time is right for him to do them. Which is until he gets to Jerusalem. Or why Jerusalem? Uh, He gives us a clue at the end of verse 33. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Around the world, lots of cities, every now and then you kind of realise certain cities um, develop a, a kind of particular reputation. They become symbolic of a particular activity or a, a particular trait Uh, So we sometimes talk about Paris, it's the city of love. Uh, Can you think of any others, uh, world cities, and kind of what they're known for? New York, the Big Apple? It's just got this great big apple. No, it doesn't. But the kind of place of ambition, isn't it? Like it's just these ambitious dreams. That's what New York is all about. Um, What's that song, Empire State of Mind or whatever? Where where dreams are made of. That's New York. Any, Any others? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not so much thinking about what tourist attraction they have, but yes, Coffs Harbour, the big banana, maybe we'll put that up there. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. Any others? Uh, Hong Kong, maybe? Think of a kind of luxury shopping, perhaps. Um, Adelaide, City of Churches. I figured out in, um, you know, this is how carefully I research my sermons. I figured out this week, it's not called the City of Churches just because of how many church buildings are in Adelaide. You know, I hadn't thought about it, but apparently it goes back to Adelaide's history. The first city in, you know, some people are nodding, they already knew this, I was ignorant. But the first city uh, kind of established in Australia that wasn't a penal colony and, um, and it had four kind of founding principles as it was established as a city, one of which was religious tolerance. And so it quite quickly became known as the city of churches. That's Adelaide. But the ancient world uh, was the same. So, uh, Athens, synonymous with democracy. Sparta, uh, kind of uh, known for military discipline. Well, what about Jerusalem? 
Jesus is speaking about Jerusalem. He's kind of reaching deep into the Old Testament story to point out the fact that Jerusalem, though the heart of the Jewish nation, both politically and spiritually, uh, this was the place where the temple stood, representing God's living presence among his people. This is the place where they would bring their sacrifices to deal with sin. This is the place they would come for their annual festivals as a nation, as the people of God. And yet it was also the place where the destiny of the prophets was worked out. The, the messengers, God sent his people time and time again to call them away from sin and back to himself. But Jerusalem was the place where their destiny was kind of wrought. And many times, perhaps we might even say habitually, it was the place where the prophets were rejected and killed. And Jesus knows that this will be his fate in Jerusalem as well. In fact, twice already he has announced this to his disciples. And so it's no wonder that when he hears that Herod wants to kill him, he doesn't kind of turn aside. He knows that this is exactly what awaits him in Jerusalem and he kind of moves towards it with steady resolve. Why? And what is it that drives his commitment to go to Jerusalem even though he knows what will happen to him there? Simply put, it is love. Motherly love, if you like. Because now Jesus turns to address Jerusalem itself and, and we hear these words where he likens himself to the mother hen. Oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. Uh, lots of you know that one of the fun things about living in the church house we live in is that it's got a well-built chicken coop at the back. And uh, lots of you know that we have, over time, kept a number of different chickens and we had a great egg supply, which we loved. Of course, they were all just for the eating because you can't keep a rooster in the city. Um, but being the very ignorant city boy that I am, I decided to look up online, see more research again, I decided to look up online about how to raise chicks with a broody hen because I, you know, I had all sorts of questions about how that worked. It turns out that actually there's not too much to it for the human who's kind of supervising this process because the broody hen does the whole thing. Um, she shows her chicks how to eat and drink. She gives them all the warmth that they need and regulates their temperature because she just kind of plumps herself up and brings them under her wings. And, and if they're out and about for a little walk and she senses that they're in danger, she'll just make a particular clucking sound and in they'll come under her wings and they'll be safe. And, and if you reach in to try and grab one, you will certainly get pecked. Um, someone told me this morning at, at the 8 o'clock service, they have a, a sister-in-law who keeps chickens um, and when she gets broody, and they had some eggs recently that didn't survive, and so what they did was they substituted in some duck eggs. And so the hen is now just raising ducks. 
And that's how motherly the instinct is. It's just like, anything that's under me, I will look after. This is the broody hen. Um, They are just so protective. They are just so determined to provide for their chicks. And, and, And no doubt those of us who are mothers know what this protective instinct feels like. But perhaps even if you're an older brother or an older sister, you can think about what that protective instinct has felt like for you or... Or maybe if you're a teacher or you're a youth group leader or a kids church leader and you can think of, yeah, there's that sense of, of kind of protective care that motivates us. And what is Jesus getting at here? What is he trying to say? What's he trying to communicate? I think he's trying to communicate what is in his heart for Jerusalem. He knows what will be in Jerusalem's heart for him. They will put him to death. But in these words, he is trying to show what's in his heart for them. What's in his heart for the people of Jerusalem. He wants to protect them. He wants to provide for them. His love for them is as instinctive as the mother hen with her chicks gathering them under her wings. He wants to rescue them. He wants to bring them to safety. And although this moment has a a kind of a great historical particularity to it, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to imagine that Jesus could well say, even today, the same things for a great city like Sydney. He wants to protect us. He wants to provide for us. His love for us is as instinctive as a mother hen with her chicks that she gathers under her wings. He wants to rescue us. He wants to bring us to safety as well. But safety from what? Rescue from what? Protection from what? In a word, from the judgment of God. From the judgment of God against all our human sin. From the judgment of God at all the ways that each and every one of us has naturally lived as if we were God instead of him. Neither glorifying him nor giving him thanks nor serving him. Just over 10 years ago, in the US state of Mississippi, there was a a series of uh, devastating tornadoes that swept through. And in one town called Yazoo City, there was a mother named Nikki Carpenter with her three children. And uh, she could tell that this was going to get bad. And so what she did was she gathered her three children, she placed them under a mattress. And then she kind of lay down on top to sort of anchor the mattress down so that they would be protected if the house started falling down all around them. Nikki Carpenter died that day, but beneath the mattress, her three children survived. And it's just an extraordinary selfless act of motherly love, that instinctive protection. It's reminiscent of the love that Jesus showed because... The rescue and the salvation that he brings from the judgment of God is by way of his death on the cross. Which covers 
us up as the anger of God falls on him. And yet where a human mother may lay down her life for her children who are precious to her and who know her and love her, Jesus gives his love for we who are naturally God's enemies, who have naturally turned our backs on God and shaken our fists at him. The reason? Pure, selfless, sacrificial, motherly love. It's why it's so important we actually hold this second half of the passage together with the first half. Remember the first half, the narrow door, only if you find it. If that was all we had in this passage, that would be a pretty hard saying, wouldn't it? That would be a pretty uncomfortable teaching. And, and it is there, but at the same time, Jesus says, but look at what I am going to do. I am not going to turn aside from Jerusalem. Despite what's going to happen to me there, I'm going to move towards that for your sake. Because that's my love. To hold these two halves of the passage together is extraordinary. And so Jesus wants to protect us and to rescue us from the judgment of God, to save us from the consequences of our rebellion. And he is able to do that because he is Lord and King, which we know because God raised him from the dead on the third day. But there is a warning here, isn't there? The the final five words of verse 34, where he said to Jerusalem, this is what I've longed to do, and you were not willing. Once again, there are two intentions at work here. Jesus longs to gather his people together as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but his people were not willing to to come to him. And so he tells them in verse 35 that their house is left desolate and from this point on really, that earthly city of Jerusalem will have no more significance in the plans of God. She has rejected Jesus, therefore God has rejected her. And so at the end of Luke's Gospel, when the instruction is given to tell people about what Jesus has done, well, now it's for all nations on earth, this message. And so again, Jesus says to the people of Jerusalem, they're not going to see him again now until he comes in glory at the end of time as the judge of the world, which will be the day that they acknowledge what they have not acknowledged in the present time, that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, friends, if we won't accept what Jesus has done, if, if we won't accept what he has done for us in his loving, sacrificial death on the cross to protect us and to rescue us from the judgment of God, well, we simply won't be protected and rescued from the judgment of God, but we will face it ourselves. And I urge every one of us not to respond like that. But instead, uh, to be willing to let Jesus' death protect us, to be willing to let Jesus' love for us be our shelter and, and our rock 
to be willing to stop ignoring God and rebelling against him, to be willing to acknowledge before God our sin and to seek his forgiveness, to be willing to trust in Jesus who died and rose again, to be willing to follow him as Lord and Saviour. A mother's desire to protect her child is huge. It is a fierce love that knows virtually no bounds. God's desire to protect us is so huge that it took Jesus to Jerusalem, to death on a cross. He deserves our allegiance. He deserves our honour. He deserves our service. He deserves our trust. He deserves our love. And so why not welcome his protection and put your trust in him even today? And if you've been listening along tonight as we've heard this little part of Luke 13 and you know that that's what God is calling you to do, to put your trust in Jesus and come to him to accept the protection that he gives from the judgment of God. There's a prayer that's going to come up on the screen. It'll go over two screens, but essentially it it just acknowledges before God our unworthiness. It expresses thanks to God for Jesus' death on our behalf and it asks God to forgive us and to help us to live with Jesus as our Lord, as our ruler. And so I'm going to lead us out loud in this prayer and, and if this is what you would like to say to God, I urge you to pray silently in your heart and mind along with me as I pray out loud. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending Jesus to die that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. rescue and salvation is made possible by uh, Jesus' sacrifice and uh, we've heard a lot about Jerusalem tonight, we're going to sing about Jerusalem and the, the reason and uh, the love that Jesus had has for us um, is why he walked to, into and um, through Jerusalem.
streets had sung to him. Now they cry for murder. Such a frail and lonely man, holding up the heavy cross. See him walking in Jerusalem on the road to save us.
Hi, everyone.